You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. EIISAC reports a curious election-related phishing campaign, widespread but indifferently coordinated and without an obvious motive. Nitro discloses a low-impact security incident. A breach at a law firm affects current and former Googlers. Finnish psychological clinic Vastamo dismisses its CEO for not disclosing a breach promptly. Ben Yellen looks at a controversial White House plan to divvy up 5G spectrum. Carol Terrio shares results from Panacea's 2020 GRC peer report. And a terrorist murder finds support online. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, October 27th, 2020. The Elections Infrastructure Information Sharing and Analysis Center, the EI-ISAC, has alerted local authorities in the U.S. to an apparently widespread phishing campaign in which unknown actors are contacting election officials with spoofed emails. The Wall Street Journal reports that EIISAC describes the messages as potentially malicious, although most don't include the malicious links normally used in phishing. The journal quotes EIISAC to the effect that the emails don't appear particularly sophisticated or highly coordinated. The ISAC said, quote, while these phishing messages appear to be part of a widespread campaign, the source and motive remain unclear, end quote. So there are a variety of possibilities, bungled criminal or hacktivist work, espionage services trying to habituate targets to opening their emails, or just the usual crew of maladjusted skids doing things for the lulls. Australian document services company Nitro says it sustained a low-impact security incident but Bleeping Computer says researchers at Cybel have found Nitro user and document information for sale on the dark web. IT Wire contacted both Cybel and Nitro about the incident. Since Nitro has a number of large, high-profile users, their response is worth quoting. The company told IT Wire, quote, Nitro continues to investigate an isolated security incident involving limited access to a Nitro database by an unauthorized third party. The database does not contain user or customer documents which are hosted in a separate database. 
There is currently no established evidence that any sensitive or financial data relating to customers has been compromised. There is no impact to Nitro Pro or Nitro Analytics. Usage of Nitro's popular free document conversion service does not require users to create an account or become a Nitro customer. Users are required to provide an email address and common email domains are frequently entered. End quote. Seibel thinks the incident is more serious than that. They told IT Wire and Bleeping Computer that they found both user and document databases, as well as a terabyte of documents, up for auction in a dark web market. Opening bids are set at $88,000 U.S. dollars, that's $112,000 Australian. Not that any of you would be in the market for stolen data. The incident remains under investigation. Nitro reported the breach to the authorities and is cooperating with law enforcement. The law firm Fragomin Del Rey, Bernson & Lowy, which provides Google with I-9 employment verification compliance services, disclosed Friday that it had been breached and that some Google employees' personal information was compromised. Which data elements apparently vary with the individual? Fragomin's disclosure letter it sent to affected individuals says that names were compromised, along with other information that depends upon what Fragomin had. The board of Finnish psychotherapeutic practice Vastamo has dismissed the clinic's CEO after concluding he'd been aware of a significant data breach for more than a year without disclosing it, Finnish news media report. The breach began to come to light last week when people complained to various tabloids that they were being held for ransom. An update from the BBC says the breach included records of therapeutic sessions, which presumably lends urgency to the extortion demands being made of the individual victims. Victim Support Finland has advice for those affected. It offers both general emotional support as well as some advice specific to the details of how Finnish law handles privacy. Some of its advice, however, is generally useful wherever you might live. If you've become a victim of cyber extortion, take a screenshot if you discover your stolen data posted to the web and do the same with any demands for ransom. And finally, of course, don't pay the ransom. If it's any consolation, civilized and well-disposed people won't hold it against you that you've sought therapy. The general lessons for organizations here are familiar. First, bad news doesn't improve with age. And second, whistling past the graveyard is unlikely to be an effective incident response technique. One would think that the terrorist execution of a schoolteacher by beheading would not be seen as something to celebrate or support. Alas, one would be wrong. You may recall seeing reports of the awful murder of Samuel Paty ten days ago in the Paris suburb of Coflaux-Saint-Honorat. He was killed by an Islamist extremist because he had shown some of the cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad that Charlie Hedbo had published in 2015. Those cartoons prompted a massacre at the newspaper's offices shortly after they were published. They've evoked that response again. Major Petit's murderer was shot by police shortly after his crime. The Dhaka Tribune now reports that Bangladeshi hacktivists identifying themselves as Cyber 71 have taken up the cause of the extremist, may his name be forgotten, Cyber 71 claimed responsibility for the defacement of various French commercial websites in retaliation for perceived insult to the prophet. Police in Dhaka say they're open to investigating reports of cybercrimes, even though they think this one may fall outside their jurisdiction. 
Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Continuous controls monitoring platform provider Panacea recently published their 2020 GRC peer report, GRC being short for Governance, Risk Management and Compliance. Our UK correspondent Carol Terrio has the story. We are here today to try and answer a rather big question. How are the security gurus out there feeling about their defenses in 2020 now that there's this whole new landscape to contend with? I've invited Sharaka Guna Tilaki, CTO of Panacea, to share some of the insights they've gathered on the cyber pulse of the nation's experts. Thank you for coming on the show, Sharaka. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for having me. So first, a bit about Panacea. As I understand it, you guys help big companies better understand their operational risk. So does that mean if you have an employee and they're not cyber trained, they increase your risk? Is that a fair way of explaining it? What we recognized uh, when we started the business about five years ago was that uh, the vast majority of companies are struggling with some of the most fundamental basics of uh, cybersecurity. They simply don't know what assets they have to protect Mm. um, and whether the various security controls that they've deployed are being deployed correctly to protect those assets. So you mentioned, you know, users, um, people are potential risks and, you know, we have controls like security awareness training to mitigate that. But are those Mm. actually being effective to protect the organization? And actually having this visibility into your security posture um, could actually prevent a vast majority of the cyber attacks. And also we're seeing uh, a growing um, level of scrutiny from the regulators. You know, there's so many regulations that these organizations have to comply with. um, And and the organizations are struggling to measure their security posture um, and report accurately against all these compliance requirements. 
You know, I hate to blow my own trumpet, but I think I'm one of the few thousand people that actually read the entire GDPR <laughs> regulation. <laughs> now, you guys recently published a report that provides insight on in how security professionals in the finance industry are feeling in the face of this new digital landscape. Can you share a few highlights about that? Yeah, the what we've seen is that GRC teams in these uh, financial services companies are increasingly subject to time-sensitive requests from the regulators, and there's lots of quite complex and scrutinizing questions. And just for some of us, what does GRC stand for? It's obviously an acronym. Yeah, that's right. So um, it stands for Governance, Risk and Compliance. And okay. um, it's it's part of the organization that, you know, looks after all of the risks that the organization is, uh, is facing uh, and helps to manage that and also looks at all of the compliance obligations that they have and uh, make sure that the organization is actually being compliant. Go on with your highlights. Fantastic. The, these organizations may well be secure, but what they're struggling with is to prove that uh, they're actually secure. Mm-hmm. GRC leaders are frequently unsure if they're actually giving accurate security data to these regulators and auditors. In many cases, this information is likely to be incomplete or out of date or just based on subjective beliefs that they have. Mm. The, the GRC uh, report, uh, the survey that we ran, um, there were a couple of key findings that we pulled out from it. Uh, first of all, um, what we're seeing is that the traditional GRC tools are simply not fit for the current challenges. Less than half of the GRC leaders are confident that they can fulfill the security-related requests from the regulators. Less than half? That's right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And 92% are looking for quantitative rather than qualitative reporting to assure their uh, security controls. And also, there's a, a huge overload in the number of requests that they're facing as well. It sounds like they're like neck deep in the proverbial, you know? Yeah. Any main key points you would tell these people, these people that are feeling stressed out? The main takeaway is that um, the GRC functions in these organizations need to become more data-driven as with other departments. You know, if you think about a CFO, they're not relying on manually adding up reports when they're balancing the books. And the same principle applies to security information being given to regulators, auditors, and the board. And really, the the, the main thing that uh, these organizations need is a automated way of delivering trusted insights. Um, and we're seeing this as a, a critical requirement that is emerging um, for, for these GRC functions. Yeah, makes sense. And I wish we had more time to go through more of your highlights. Um, um, listeners, you can find out more about this research from Panacea on their website, panacea.com. Sharaka, thank you for giving us your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Carol. Thanks for having me. This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Hello, Ben. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting story that caught my eye today. This is uh, from CNN, and it's titled Administration Officials Alarmed by White House Push to Fast-Track Lucrative 5G Spectrum Contract, sources say. Uh, ben, I don't know if you've uh, been living in a cave or not, but uh, this 5G thing seems Pretty to be— Pretty big deal, uh, yeah. <laughs> seems to be kind of a big deal, and uh, seems like the White House has their eye on it, and some folks want to access to some of that spectrum. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, so this spectrum is just an extremely valuable resource, as you can expect. It's going to be, mm. no matter who wins this contract, it's just going to be an enormous uh, financial windfall for that company. So what some uh, administration sources have been telling the media, there is a large push within the highest reaches of the White House to encourage Pentagon to accept what's basically a no-bid contract from the company Revada. Uh, mm. They want to fast-track Revada's request for proposal in a way that would preclude the more competitive bidding process you would usually see for something like this. So obviously most people are familiar with how this works, but Generally, you have this uh, request for proposal. Every company puts in their most competitive bid. Um, the government chooses the one that hopefully will be the most cost-effective to the taxpayers. Uh, that seems to be what is not happening here. There are allegations that allies, political allies of the administration, have been pushing, particularly the chief of staff to the president, Mark Meadows, to have this fast-tracked. Um, one of those individuals is our old friend Carl Rove, uh, who hmm. is a uh, Republican political strategist from the George W. Bush era. Yeah. Uh, he is also an formal slash informal advisor to the Donald Trump re-election campaign. Uh, and he's a lobbyist for Arvada. And he's apparently been getting in the ear of administration officials trying to push this. Now, he's denied doing that. And, you know, he claims when he was asked about it by CNN that he would turn down a no-bid contract uh, to me, that language leaves a lot of wiggle room. It might not technically hmm. be a no-bid contract, but if they were given an advantage in this process, it still would be you know, an, an unfair process uh, and would disfavor the interests of the consumers. Uh, right. And then there's former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, who also seems to have uh, connections with Rivada. He's been advocating for the Pentagon to grant this contract to the company. Even though he's not officially a lobbyist for Nevada, administration sources have said that he's one of the people that's been pushing this, and he's also a major political ally of the president. Interestingly enough, former Speaker Gingrich said he never advocated uh, for Nevada. However, if he did it, <laughs> in the words of O.J. Simpson, <laughs> he would have done it uh, pro bono as a citizen. Uh, and I'm sure uh, we all believe the veracity of, of that statement. Out of the goodness of his heart, yes, yes. <laughs> Well, and I think it's worth uh, some, some clarification here that a couple things. Um, so this is spectrum that currently belongs to the military. Right. It's been set aside for them. And so this push is for them to share that spectrum uh, with private industry um, for the for the public good. Uh, obviously, you know, this spectrum can be used for a lot of things and, and there are many good uses for it. Um, this article points out that uh, a government auction of 70 megahertz of spectrum back in August went uh, sold for more than $4.5 billion, and this is for 350 megahertz of spectrum, five times as much. Um, so we're talking about some big dollars here. 
Yeah, and this is a great opportunity for the government. I mean, the government controls a lot of resources. Uh, this is one of their most valuable resources, having the Department of Defense uh, have domain over the spectrum. Uh, so it certainly behooves the administration and the country for you know there to be a competitive bidding process to make sure that we are we are getting our money's worth, that the, whatever deal is agreed to is in the best interest of the American people. Uh, and the consumers. So hmm. any effort to sidetrack that competitive bidding process uh, is going to have a really negative impact on, uh, frankly, our, our bottom line as a country. I don't know if you've heard, our budget situation isn't exactly in tip-top shape. <laughs> no, we're, no, no, it's not, no. Not yeah, good. and, it's you know, this all. is a, a small, you know, this is a certainly a small piece of that. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you are one of those people like like many of us who think that every dollar counts, uh, if you use this, what's essentially a no-bid process, you not only could be doing something that reeks of cronyism and potentially corruption, but you could be doing something that negatively affects our, our nation's finances. Yeah, um, uh, and worth noting here that there's bipartisan concern about this. There's this is this is not you know, there seems to be plenty of people who want to take a closer look at what's going on here. Absolutely. I mean, from a Republican conservative perspective, this is a no-brainer. You want there to be a competitive process that relies on the innovations of the free market. I mean, that's yeah. bread and butter Republicanism, and that's been reflected in some of the statements we've seen from Republican senators. My guess is that now that this <clears throat> story has gotten on the radar and has been picked up by the media, you know, we might see more of an organized pushback against this that might force the <laughs> Pentagon to avoid the appearance of, of impropriety. Right, um, ixnay on the uncompetitive bid. <laughs> a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They tried yeah. to pull a fast one on us, but couldn't quite make it. Um, hmm. But I think it's, it's incumbent upon all of us to, to keep our eyes on this because it's really important for the future of 5G. It's really important for the future of good government as well. Yeah, and I think what they, as they point out, Spectrum is a limited resource. I mean, there's there's only so much of it and it's very valuable, so we can't just... They're not making any more of it, right? No, they're not creating more spectrum. I don't want to get into this, <laughs> the supernatural here, but that's, I think, not... <laughs> I, I don't think that's something that we can just create more of. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, interesting one, as you say, uh, an important one to keep an eye on. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. And it kills germs that cause bad breath. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.